With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. This is the Lembit Opic Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back to the second of my three hours this Saturday morning, if you're in the United Kingdom, Saturday evening, if you're in Australia, wherever you are. Thank you for joining me, Lembitopic, here at the home of free speech. That's TNT. Uh, in what amounts to a magazine show, we dig deep into the issues of the day. We get the chance to really explore the thoughts, the aspirations, the concerns and the knowledge of my guests. Uh, coming up in a short while, I've got Vince Maple. He is the leader of a local authority in the United Kingdom. The lessons he can share about local government are relevant to any country where local government exists, which is just about every country in the world. The difference is, unlike many local authorities in many different countries, the ones in the UK are going bust. Why? It could be the government once again. We'll get Vince's unique take on that. And we'll also find out what it means to run a local authority. Coming up in the third hour, uh, we'll have Charlie Downs. He's a spokesperson for Gen Z, Generation Z. What has happened? Has there been a fracture between young people and politics? Maybe it's always been that way. Maybe it should be that way. Maybe there's something wrong with you if you're interested in politics as a teen. I was, and here I am today. Uh, Charlie Downs is always very good uh, at expressing the things that he's concerned about and doing it in a way which is both uh, attractive to listen to, but also insightful to hear. And sometimes he also comes up with inconvenient truths, like my first guest, Kit uh, Clarenberg, a few minutes ago. Before we go to Vince, let me raise two subjects of interest to me. In the first hour here on TNT, we were talking about the verdict of the ICJ, that's the International uh, Court of Justice, about whether Israel should stop its uh, assault on Gaza. Well, you could have predicted this. It didn't go ahead and say, you have to stop. It simply said, try and tone it down, please, Mr. Netanyahu. Try not to kill the civilians. But it didn't have the courage to say, you've got to stop. Fair play to South Africa. It brought this action, claiming a kind of genocide is going on in Gaza. But the United Nations has once again proved its inability to stand up to bullies. That's what many people would say. Certainly, it's hard to understand why Western politicians who tend to condemn other countries uh, when the collateral damage in their conflicts amounts to civilian casualties but they won't do it when it comes to Israel. 25,000 plus have been killed and orders of magnitude more than that injured, most of them civilians, women, children, people who have never lifted a weapon or assaulted a person in their entire lives. What kind of world are we living in when the very politicians who have committed the West to conflict in the past on the basis of protecting human rights and civilians now don't have the courage to call for a ceasefire when it really matters to the people of Gaza. Of course, as Kit Clarenberg, my first guest, pointed out, there has been an upwelling of support amongst the general public, many of whom never really thought about Gaza before. So there is something to be cheerful about there when the public actually take the stand that the politicians should be taking. I wonder what you think of that. Go to the chat, share your views there. 
The other point I want to make also relates to indirectly the United Nations. Uh, Tuvalu, the leader there, has been ousted. He was pro-Taiwan, but he has been replaced by somebody who's perhaps less sympathetic to the Taiwan situation. Once again, there's a big dispute there between Taiwan and China. But the point I wanted to mention about Tuvalu is the fact that after all these years, the threat of sea level rise has yet to swallow up a nation state built on islands, which claims it is sinking below the ocean. Good news, my friends. I looked at the research. Far from drowning, Tuvalu has actually gained land in the last half century, over 2%, bigger now than it was in the early 1970s. So they can wrangle about their allies. They can vote in who they want, but they can also be heartily grateful that their own claims for financial support to turn back the tide of global warming may actually be unfounded. You'll be there for a while yet, my friends. I don't think you're sinking. But of course, if I'm wrong, in 10 years time, I'll fly over there myself and say, I'm sorry. There is no global crisis when it comes to the environment. But 10 out of 10 to Tuvalu and all those other island states who reckon they can make a fast buck by pretending that there is. I wonder what you think. Maybe you think I'm wrong. Well, engage with me on the TNT site. You can phone in as well. Uh, I try to get a... Uh, guest to talk about the environment, usually on Sunday. You're most welcome to join that debate also. Uh, you'll find all the details on our website. Uh, and if I've got time, I'll read some of your messages out as well. But coming up next, we've got Vince Maple, leader of Medway Council in the southeast of England. What's it mean to run a council and what's going wrong in Britain? All of that with me on the Lembidopic Show right now on TNT. Keeping the commitment 24-7. I've been in the car all day and I got to listen. Can't get enough of it. You guys are doing a great job. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Vince Maple, councillor. Vince Maple, leader of the council. It's been a while. How are you? It's great to be here with you, Lembit, on TNT Radio. It's uh, We often, in our collective former days, used to share a Sunday morning together on one of our southeast regional uh, public service broadcasters um it feels as if you're uh you've been let off the leash a little bit more on tnt i think it's fair to say uh, those were great conversations and i'm looking forward to our great conversation this morning you're absolutely right vince much as i enjoyed getting to know you and others at that station we won't name it by advertise the competition uh the frustration i had was that they were anything other than objective you had to follow a program you had to stick with the script not so on tnt here we can have facts and opinions we just have to separate the two and trust our listeners and viewers to draw their own conclusions who'd have thought it vince a station that actually thinks the public's in charge that's what we do here I, at TNT. I'm a fan of listening to the people. That's what I've been doing for uh, more than a decade and a half in local government. And I'm pleased that the uh, the good people of Medway have given me the opportunity to serve as their council leader last year. I have been watching your career avidly for well, over a decade now, actually. And you expressed the implicit ambition to lead Medway Council. And here you are. You're in charge. Congratulations. Has it lived up to your expectations, Vince? Well, it's uh, been like nothing else. You, 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 so I've been in local government for 16 years. Uh, I've often said that actually where you can make a difference the most in politics actually isn't at that 
national and international level. I mean, of course, it's important to talk about those things, but actually for most people's day-to-day lives, for the things that impact on their quality of life, actually across the across this country, across Europe, across the world, it is local and regional government that can make the biggest amount of difference. Now, of course, across the world, no two sets of uh, local governments are the same. And in some countries like England, actually, we don't have a standard model. What's What works for us for our 300,000 residents is different even to our neighbours in Kent, for example. So uh, it's, it's a real privilege to take on the role I've taken on since last May. I've got a brilliant team. Uh, who are working hard, making improvements. Um, But as you were saying earlier on, actually, for most councils across England, uh, there's huge financial challenges at the moment. The Local Government Association, who is the collective cross-party voice for local government, did a survey over Christmas and said one in five councils are likely to serve a Section 114 notice. In simple terms, that means they've run out of money. Uh, And what we've seen in the past, is a number of councils who perhaps have made, of all political persuasions, this isn't a party political a kind of rant on behalf of my party, um, but, you know, lots of parties uh, running councils have made perhaps questionable decisions, which you can look back and go, mm, if you hadn't done that, your finances would be better. What we're seeing now in England especially is a number of councils who are basically doing everything you'd expect them to do, doing reasonable financial decisions, trying to do the very best for their local communities. But there is more pressure than there is finance available. And I think we'll see more of that as we move towards the budget setting for local government here in England, which is, has to be done by the 11th of March uh, this year. Uh, I was a local authority councillor in Newcastle-upon-Tyne in the north of England for five years and active for much longer than that in local politics. We were saying those things in the early 1990s. Maybe it's just the same as it was then. Maybe local authorities will always whinge about not having enough money. I I think, look, if you ask anybody in local government, any councillor, indeed any council officer, the simple question of could, could you use more resources effectively? Of course, the answer almost certainly will always be yes. What we're finding now is there are actually a kind of a a a quartet of challenges which are like we've never seen before. And again, in England, we have different types of councils. So my council is a single tier. We do everything for the community. In the rest of the county of Kent, actually, they have two tiers. And for these four particular issues, three are for the upper tier, for the senior councils, and one is for the lower tier, the districts and boroughs, as they're known uh, across England. And the districts and boroughs, it's temporary accommodation, housing for those who've got housing challenges. And for the upper tier authorities, it's adult social care, children's social care, and special educational needs transport. Again, really important issues which impact on the, the quality of life for families and individuals. But we've seen a huge increase, a massive increase in all four of those. And their complexity has increased as well. So, and at the same time, you know, taking Medway for an example, we've seen a 91% cut in our revenue support grant since 2010, since we've had the Conservatives in control of government. So that's a difficult set of circumstances. And and myself and my team, along with councils across the country, uh, are doing everything they can to try and balance those books. But it's harder than ever, harder than ever. Uh, I'm going to talk with you about the the general political scene in in the, the next section in about five, six minutes. I wanted to challenge you on what you've said there. Uh, not because you're necessarily wrong, but 
one of the issues I've got is this. Uh, when people complain about central government not giving enough money, it doesn't really seem to make much difference whether the Labour Party is in charge of the Conservatives because local authorities always seem to be saying, we can't fix the roads, we can't provide sufficient social care because the government's not giving us enough money. And there's a phrase which you've heard, I'm sure, the uni party that Conservatives and Labour are converging. Does anything really change for local government when the colour of the party in charge changes in Westminster? I, I think what we're seeing now, and look, I accept entirely, local government has always shouted its case strongly. That's the right thing to do. You know, local elected representatives want to stand up for their communities and get the maximum possible resources uh, available to uh, service their community, work with their community and support them. I say for me, it's about the differential we've seen, particularly in the last 14 years. Uh, we have seen a massive reduction, a massive reduction. I say for us in Medway, a 91% cut in that revenue support grant, similar numbers elsewhere in the country as well. And we've seen at the same time. So that's difficult enough. Having to do the same with less money would be difficult enough. What we've actually seen in those four particular examples, and there are others, but those are the four which I think put the most pressure on councils, is actually a huge increase in the pressure at the time the funding's actually reducing. You know, even if the funding was standing still, it would be a more palatable set of circumstances. That simply isn't the case at the moment. Uh, just... I know this may seem almost like a simplistic question, but the question I do have for you is, if you were to list what the local authority is responsible for, what would those key uh, functions be? That's the, For somebody listening in Australia or America, what does a British local government, local authority do? Well, as I say, as I said earlier on, actually, we, we've got a uniqueness in one sense is we don't have a one size fits all um, approach to local government. You know, we, us in Medway. So our council does all of those council um, activities and provides those services. It's around 140 services. I'm not going to list them all. Don't worry. But it's but for, from our perspective, it's everything from social care for adults and children picking up the bins. We do that on a weekly basis here in Medway, making sure roads are kept safe, uh, you know, making sure that our green spaces are, are there and available. But of course, in many cases, we can't do those things alone. It's about partnership working. So one of the challenges, and that there has to be improvement in this, and this isn't about blaming somebody else or going, you know, a partnership is a two-way street. When it comes to the issue, particularly of adult social care, there needs to be a more joined up approach uh, with our national health service and actually central government have got a role to play in that because again it doesn't matter almost in one sense whether it's us or the health service who are writing the check in one sense it's about saying actually those residents residents don't care who's delivering the service if they've got an elderly parent or a partner who a husband or wife whoever it might be they want to make sure they get the best possible care the kind of bureaucracy behind it almost doesn't matter in one sense but for me as a local government leader, I know that actually the, the best outcomes are where the system as a whole works as well as it can collectively. And that doesn't always happen in every case. Uh, if you were to, uh, as I say, we'll, we'll talk about the British political situation in a, in a way which uh, hopefully will be interesting to international view, viewers uh, too in a moment. But if you were to characterise in a sentence the one thing that you think should be changed about local government in Britain, what would it be? 
So it's two things for me. Firstly, it's about saying, actually, we need the relevant level of resources. And importantly, at the moment, for a number of years, we've had a one-year settlement. So as a council leader, I want to plan for the next two, three, four years, you know, in making improvements, efficiencies in services, of course, getting the best value for money. That's really difficult to plan for if all you've got is for the next 11 and a half months, effectively, your, your levels of income that you know are coming in. So I think a long term plan and that needs government to trust local government. I think that's something which perhaps over the last 50 years, we've not seen enough true devolution. We've talked about it a lot, particularly in England. People will look at the Welsh Assembly and the Scottish Parliament and in some cases almost say, well, who speaks for England? I mean, that's a much wider conversation than any one council. But I do think there is a um, kind of across the three, four nations of the uh, UK, there's a very different approach when it comes to devolution. And, and some of that's around resource. Let's go, uh, Let's in a moment, let's go and look at the British political situation. I also want to read out some comments uh, from our listeners, our viewers. Uh, you're listening to Vince Maple, uh, leader of Medway Council in the United Kingdom. I want to draw some lessons, uh, which hopefully will be of international in importance and significance about the British political situation. Uh, we'll go to a break now. I'm Lembertopic. This is Lembertopic Show. This is TNT. TNT's Jeremy Nell. Nice comment here from Rebecca. She says, the youngest people... Um, I work with are a bit more mature, but their interactions with the public is stifled. And she's referring to the excessive use of cell phones and social media and how it's making them so antisocial also. The business is open six days a week. One of his staff members formally requested that they shouldn't, you know, that they could they be given permission not to have to work on Wednesdays so that they could help at the dog shelter. Now, as you know, I'm a dog lover. I have hunting dogs. I've got dogs coming out of my ears, my Malinois. And this dog, this Malinois, is bright even by Malinois standards. She can do crossword puzzles. Is lying under my desk at the moment, feeling sorry for herself because she's just come on heat for the first time and she's completely bewildered. She doesn't know why she's bleeding to death. It's not about whether it's a good or a bad thing to work at animal shelters. That's a delightful thing. It's a noble thing to do. But who in their right mind goes to their boss and says, would you mind, I'd rather not work on Wednesdays if it's okay, because I've got other priorities in a, in a town down the road. Jeremy now on today's News Talk TNT. The Irish government is proposing a law known as the Hate Speech Bill that threatens free speech. This law could have dire consequences for our democracy. Next month, next month, and then on to the next month. This law will have uncertain effects on artistic and musical expression. Please support us. It could stifle the activity of public campaigning on political and civil issues and also curtail speech relating to topics about religion, ethnicity, sex, and gender. You could even be jailed for possessing documents, cartoons or memes on your devices, even if you never read them or intended on sharing them. Mere possession could make you a criminal under this law. Help stop this law. Visit www.freespeechireland.ie forward slash take action to bin the hate speech bill. Listen. Listen up! Now listen, we gotta talk. 
It's what we do best. This is today's News Talk Radio. TNT. Welcome back. Lambert Opic with you for roughly an hour and a half still with Vince Maple, leader of Medway Council, which is a pretty big council in the southeast of England. Just want to raise a few points from this hour and the former hour uh, on the chat. Uh, someone asks me, what's my view of Michael Mann versus Stein? I take it you don't mean the Michael Mann, the actor. He was great in Smokey and the Bandit. I take it you mean the climate activist. Well, I have no respect for Michael Mann, whatever. Uh, there's a book called The Hockey Stick Illusion. Without going into the details today, uh, I think that he has introduced things into the climate debate which do not help uh, clarity. Uh, I personally don't believe... Uh, what he says is correct. Uh, we'll be talking about that tomorrow, actually, with one of my guests, Duncan White. Uh, he'll be on uh, tomorrow, uh, and we can explore that in detail. So uh, the Michael Mann versus Stein uh, case is quite relevant to that, but if I can do that tomorrow, that'd be great. Uh, Mr. Ted says, thank you for mentioning John Pilger and Julian Assange. My pleasure. It's one of my regrets that I haven't actually met uh uh, Julian Assange. I think whatever you, whatever you think of him, he's definitely somebody who follows his conscience. Uh, and there's uh, uh, Mogden says Michael Mann sounds like a right prat. I think that's probably the vernacular way of saying what I myself think as well. Uh, Holly says we love it, Lembit. Well, keep loving it, Holly. You've got six hours of me every single weekend. And uh, let's return now to uh, Vince Maple, the leader of Medway Council, a Labour uh, politician. Uh, Vince, thanks again for being with us here on uh, the whole hour uh, of TNT. Uh, I wanted to ask you this question. And uh, a spoiler alert, I am going to push you a little bit about Labour here as well, because I don't want to just give you an easy ride. A lot of people are very disillusioned by what I mentioned before as the uni party, the fact that there isn't really much differentiation between Labour and Conservative. They both seem to believe what I consider to be an idiotic climate crisis agenda, which has no basis in science, my view, probably not yours. They both seem to agree on things like not having a ceasefire in Gaza. They both seem to agree with having support for a conflict in Ukraine. What's the difference? What happens if Keir Starmer becomes Prime Minister? Just more of the same? Well, firstly, Lambie, I was a bit confused by Michael Mann. I thought we were going to talk about the film Heat uh, when you mentioned him <laughs> for a second there. Uh, but let's move on to your substantive question. Look, people say this on the doorstep a lot. You're all the same. And I say, actually, just, you know, from a local level, look at what we've done compared to what happened over the previous 23 years where the Conservative Party ran Medway. And actually, sometimes it's about representation. That's important. So if I look at my team, I've got a 50-50 uh, gender split cabinet. They're all talented people. They're there because they are the talent. Compare that to my political opponents over the other side of the chamber. They've got 22 members. 21 of them are men. That's not representative. So when it comes to the issue of being a genuinely representative uh, political party. That's pretty important. When it comes to the national issues, look, I think there's a couple of things here. We know, and I'll be working incredibly hard to get, um, you know, Labour MPs elected here in Medway. We've got two brilliant candidates in Lauren Edwards and Nishar Bakan. We're selecting our third candidates. Other parties are available, but frankly, I don't care about them. Um, and actually, you know, we'll have a clear manifesto. One of the things the Labour Party isn't going to do, and we didn't do this when we got elected locally, and I don't suspect Keir Starmer and Rachel Reeves will do this, is recognising what we're inheriting. So actually, Liz Truss, and people will have their views on Liz Truss, my view is very clear. She had a 50-day experiment, or less than that, really, 
uh, in which she massively crashed the UK economy. There are residents in Medway who are now paying hundreds of pounds more on their mortgages as a direct result of her experiment. So the, the differential in that sense is very, very clear. If I wanted to, I'm going to actually, I do want to do this. Uh, you mentioned that the gender balance uh, in the other party in Medway Council wasn't very good. But then you damned Liz Truss, the female prime minister. Why do people go on about gender when it should be quality of performance? I would much rather have had a competent male prime minister than a female who's increased my mortgage, your mortgage and everybody else's. So why do you go on? Why does Labour go on about gender balance all the time? when I just want the best people, regardless of their if, regardless of whether they're male, female, male or something else. I was at Medway uh, Youth Council's annual conference yesterday, and they were talking there about representation, identity and representation. And in particular, uh, it is about saying, actually, your body politic, you know, the people that represent our community should be broadly representative of the community. You can't do it numerically in a perfect fashion. Of course you can't. You can't go, we've got 51% of that sort of person, 11% of that sort of person. So the the team of councillors or MPs or whoever it might be, they can never purely match. But there needs to be, a, in my view, and you may disagree, this is fine. It's good to disagree agreeably sometimes. You can do that. Um, I think a council chamber should represent the, the community it represents. If it was down to the Conservatives' um, representation on gender, and there are lots of other forms of representation, uh, you know, ethnicity, you know, sexual orientation, disability you know I, I i want to be in a position where someone can have you know a protected characteristic as we call it in the uk and feel actually they've got a voice but but it doesn't mean that they are going to vote for that person because they have the same protected char characteristic for me it's about saying our, our democracy should represent what we have you know medway is not full of white middle-aged men there are some, but there are some people who don't fit any of those criteria. Yeah, right. I, I am going to stay on this detour for a minute or two because this subject really yeah. riles me, Vince. Yeah, <laughs> I've got yeah. the time to I do think it. we talked about this a little bit before in the past. So we, We've touched on it, but I've never really been able to, to express my views. And these are opinions now, folks. Uh, this is yeah. one of those times when I'm expressing my opinions, uh, and I'm interested to know if listeners and viewers agree or not. Here's my problem. I've never, ever in my whole life supported positive discrimination because I want the best people to do the jobs. Now, I think most people agree Liz Trust, a female, uh, did a pretty tragic job in just, I think, like 46 days. She the, she, she ruined most people's mortgages, uh, but she was a woman. Now, if you're so serious about gender balance, Vince, then recognize that the Conservatives have elected three female prime ministers. Now, remind me, Vince, in the history of the Labour Party, how many female prime ministers have we had how many female labor prime ministers have we had we both know the answer none zero zilch uh, so why don't you well, just get rid of Keir Starmer if you're so concerned about gender balance and make Angela Rayner the, the leader and then the prime minister I, I find it hugely regrettable that we haven't democratically elected uh, a, a UK Labour Party leader who's female uh, it is worth saying, of course, as a, as a minor technicality for a period of time, uh, we've had both Harriet Harman and Margaret Beckett as party leader in an interim basis. 
but uh, neither have been in that role substantively. I find that regrettable. Um, but for me, it's about saying, actually, of course, um, I, I want to be in a position where that changes over time. I think Keir Starmer is the best person for the job right now. I think he's going to be a great prime minister. Uh, I, I hope that when we have the next um, leadership election, which I don't think will be for some time for what it's worth, uh, that we have a female leader elected. I've considered that very carefully when I've thought about who I voted for, certainly last time. Um, but but in one sense, you're, you are right to say um, when it comes to the level, you want people who are competent. That's that's the differential. Liz Truss was not competent. Um, that wasn't because of her gender. She just wasn't competent. So, yes, so you want people who are competent. But you also, right. in my view, and you may disagree, I want a body politic that, that mirrors the communities it represents, whether that's locally or indeed nationally. The, uh, in, in the third uh, part of our show today, I'll, I'll come back to policies, but I just want to dwell on this for a minute because you're opening, in my view, a can of worms. You criticised, implicitly criticised, the fact that a lot of your opponents in Medway Council are white male middle class. Now, remind me, what is Keir Starmer? He's a white male middle class lawyer. He's exactly what you're damning the conservatives of electing to Medway Council? Or is it just one rule for the conservatives and a different rule for your party leader? I, I, I think, of course, let's not forget, one of the things that have been talked about on this a lot in the past is the use of uh, all women shortlists for UK national parliament elections by the Labour Party. Of course, we can't use those for these selection processes. Not a single person, whenever the next general election will be, and we don't know yet, not soon enough in my view, not a single um, person will have been selected by, for election this year, effectively, because of an all-women shortlist. And why is that? Because actually, we have got to the point now in the UK Labour parliamentary labor party the, the the uk government our you know official opposition at the moment where we have reached that effectively slightly over 50 percent of the parliamentary labor party so we used a tool because it's not always been that way to get to that point and actually at this point we now can't use that tool because we've reached that point and in my view you know sometimes you do need to have uh tools to encourage to you know, make the process as straightforward as possible, recognising as well that, again, in different political environments have different pressures. Medway Council, for example, a lot of our meetings, almost all of our decision-making meetings are in the evening. Again, that will have an impact on some people's abilities to perhaps engage with some of those things. So it is a challenge. It's not straightforward. Um, but in my view, like I say, I, I want a I've got a team of 33. I want them to be as representative as possible of the community we do represent. 114, I'm sorry, correction, 104 out of 199 Labour MPs are indeed women. 10 out of 15 Liberal Democrat MPs are women. Is this time now to have a quota for men because men are being underrepresented in the Labour Party and the Liberal Democrats? Uh, we're not. I mean, I think actually, if you look at those numbers, that is about right. In fact, the Liberal Democrats, I think, um, perhaps historically have had um, some issues with gender balance on their 
parliamentary teams as well, not least, and I don't mean this in a disrespectful way, uh, when your team is very small, as it has been at points, that can be an issue. Um, I'll say no more. But I think when you're at that point where we are now, just around roughly 200 MPs, of which roughly 100 are female, 100 are male, that's about where you need to be. That's a good representation of the the UK um, population. So I think actually we're in a good place. And that's why that's why we, you know, by law, actually, not because we've chosen not to, but the law says we can't use all women shortlists um, because we've reached those numbers. And that's a, I think that's the right place for it to be. Uh, would you support having all women shortlists if you're allowed to do it? I think, look, I think it, it, it depends on where you are in an electoral process and where your current team is. So I think at the moment, you know, I think we are in a good place from the parliamentary perspective that isn't, it's not a tool that's currently required. I, I think if you look at it in the past, you know, there's, there's been examples and, it, you know, I, I, again, I'm not to keep pointing it out, but my political opponents locally, 21 out of 22 are male. I, you know, if they were to say locally, for, and that's a matter for them, but I think if I was their membership, I'd be going, well, actually, that doesn't, you know, we need to think about this. Um, which, of course, ironically, of course, in Medway, we have three parliamentary um, MPs, members of parliament. 66% of them, i.e. two out of three, are female. So actually, their council and their parliamentary representation from, from a gender perspective is remarkably different. Remarkably different. <laughs> Yeah, I, I won't dwell on this further. I have very publicly said I don't agree with quotas. Uh, I helped a lot of females get elected by training them, not through quotas, just by literally mentoring them, taking the long way around, if you like. Uh, but uh, it seemed to me that was the right thing to do. Uh, in terms of quotas, then, as I say, we'll go back to policy in, in the third section of this hour. But in terms of uh, in terms of quotas, why haven't you got quotas for ethnic minorities why don't you have quotas for indians and bangladeshi people and germans and and estonians why don't you why why is it just about gender well you raise an interesting point and actually in the labor party again i can't speak for other parties there have been discussions around actually several of the protected characteristics and trying to make sure that they have um you know not just necessarily census census proof so if the census says this it should be this the the the, even if we wanted to the the problem is actually the law doesn't allow you to the law had to be changed to allow for the labor party to bring forward aws all women shortlists which again are not universally popular with everyone i accept that entirely so i think actually one of the things the labor party has done in recent years Actually, going back to your point, Lembit, and I agree with you that actually one way to do this for for lots of people from a variety of protected characteristics is about confidence. It's about feeling that the system, that they they can play their part in the system. Again, a lot of that comes from confidence and saying, well, (laughs) of course you can. Look at the people who are coming there. You've got skills and abilities that you can actually add to the mix. And again, when it comes to some of those protected characteristic groups, the Labour Party, and again, other political parties, I'm sure, have done some of this. So we've got, uh, obviously, the Joe Cox programme, named after uh, the late Joe Cox, looking at particularly female leadership. We've got the Bernie Grant programme, which is, again, obviously named after um, the fantastic, you know, historic first, one of the first black MPs 
in the UK. And there are similar programs for uh, the LGBTQ plus community and disabled members as well. So look, is there more work to be done on these things? Yes. Is it important? Yes, I believe it is. And I accept other people won't necessarily have that opinion. And that's fine. Again, you can disagree agreeably on these things. Right. Uh, there are something like up to 20,000 Estonian citizens in the UK. And I would say people who are related to Estonians, at least 100,000. There is no Estonian representation, whatever, in British Parliament. If I join the Labour Party, will you have an Estonian-only shortlist for me? Well, the, well, Lembit, uh, our membership forms are available online. Uh, we'd welcome everybody. <laughs> and, and it's about you know giving people those opportunities. So again, in Medway, we're breaking down barriers. We've got the first ever in the UK female Nepalese Gurkha mayor ever. And we've done that in Medway. And actually, it was the, the members of the Labour group who selected them through, a, you know, other people stood. It was a it was a democratic process. So, again, it is about saying, actually, I want all of those barriers to be broken down. I want people from whatever background to be able to access Parliament. Whether Parliament would be ready for you again, Lembert, is a different question <laughs> and one I don't think I can answer. Well, well, well sidestepped and... Thank you for stabbing me in the front. Stay with us, though, Vince. I want to talk about policies uh, nationally and locally in just a minute. You're listening to the Lembotopic Show right here on TNT. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. People often ask me, Timbo, you're one of the most conservative guys I know. Why are you so hard on the Republican Party? I'll tell you why. It's because I've never been stabbed in the back by a Democrat but I'm like a porcupine with all the knives I've taken from fellow Republicans. Republicans like Jeff DeWitt, Arizona GOP chairman, who Carrie Lake captured on voice recording, trying to get her, at the behest of powerful people back east, to suspend her senatorial ambitions for a couple of years. Why a couple of years? Because by then the tide of globalism would have swept across this country, never to be turned back. Carrie, to her credit, said, no, Jeff, the fight is here, the fight is now, and this is a hill worth dying on, and she's absolutely correct. We need to put President Donald Trump back in the White House. We need to put Carrie Lake and Ohio's Bernie Marino in the United States Senate, and we need to put North Carolina's Colonel Lori Buckhout in NC1 and Brooke McGowan in NC10 into the House of Representatives. We need politicians that are going to represent the will of we the people, not of the powerful people back east. For MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for today's News Talk, TNT. Are you ready to help your family get prepared for the unexpected? Here we go! Ladybug and Cat Noir know how important it is to be ready. Because you never know when Hawk Moth is going to strike or a disaster will hit. And you don't need miraculous powers. Just put those planning skills you already have to good use. Make a plan that will help you and your family be ready when emergencies happen. Ready Kids can help. Get started at ready.gov slash kids. Lembit Opic on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. 
Welcome back. Uh, we're just over halfway through my three hours uh, today. Wherever you are in the world, uh, do get involved in the chat. Boy, you people are lively today uh, from the UK through to Australia and all points in between. The chat is so heated today. Uh, do have a look. I haven't got a chance to read everything out there because I don't want to take valuable time away from my guest, Vince Maple, who is the leader of the uh, Medway Council, he's Labour Party member, and very uh, valiantly is defending not just local government, but his party as a whole. Uh, we'll go back to him in just a moment. If you want to have your say, go to TNT's website. You can join the chat, or, and you can also find the phone numbers there. You'd be most welcome uh, to call in, uh, and I'll try and squeeze you in if I've got the time. Uh, Vince, thanks for being with us, and it's a real pleasure to be able to dig deep with you across this hour. Uh, this hour. Hemingway says, one wonders if they have any Medway-born mayors in the outer reaches of Nepal. Who is this dude trying to kid? <laughs> I think that's probably rhetorical, uh, Vince. I think it's basically uh, uh, saying uh, there should be a proportionality there, uh, an exchange. But we, um, we, we have exchanged friendship letters with the uh, city that uh, Nina Garung, who is a brilliant mayor for the avoidance of doubt, uh, is from. So, yeah, absolutely. I, I would welcome Medway citizens being mayors around the world as well. Uh, the Joster bloke says, many years ago, I complained to Kent Council that among a plethora of languages in which they issued information, they didn't include Cockney. A lot of former Londoners moving in. The council guy just put the phone down. Good point. Well made. And Mogden makes a, uh, an interesting point about the number of sexes. You'll have to go to the chat. I'm not reading it out, Mogden. You'll have to go to the chat to see what Mogden says there. We don't censor anything there. Uh, and Mali Bites wants me to ask you this question, Vince. Come on, Lambert, ask him how much in debt Medway Council is and what are their plans to sort it out? There you go. That's a question from Mali Bites, who's incidentally well, also listed all the debts for the whole of all the councils in Wales. Nice piece of work there, Mali Bites. But what about uh, you, Vince? How much do you owe? So th this is a slightly complex question. I don't want to bore um, TNT listeners and viewers with the minutiae of uh, local government finance. But but as a few listeners will be aware, uh, Medway's actually only existed as a council for 25 years. Uh, so some of the debt we have is actually, you know, one of your listeners there was saying around contacting Kent County Council. We Although we are in physically in Kent, we're not part of Kent Council, which is why our so we've got some of their debt that we inherited. Uh, we're managing that appropriately, uh, and that's fine. Um, but it's a big figure. It's a big, you know, it's a, hundreds of millions of pounds. But actually, that's being serviced as you would service a mortgage on a house. So, so the figure may sound large, but actually, we're servicing that. But that's not to say that we aren't having huge financial challenges. But again, that's that's more to do with the revenue costs of running services rather than servicing our debt or indeed capital um programs where we're building stuff or creating stuff before mali bites responds i'm going to ask you the question i think mali bites would expect me to ask you so other councils all over the country are suffering and going bankrupt but it's different for you because you've got it under control one rule for one well, look, one in five councils are, are saying that could happen this year. We are in a really difficult financial situation. We've got, and again, this isn't about debt. This is where it's important. This is about the two things, really. So we've got this year's budget, which we inherited from our uh, predecessors, and there's still a £12 million 
gap there that needs to be filled. We've only got £10 million of general reserve, so you can work out the financial challenges there straight away. And then on top of that, we've got you know a budget gap at the moment in the region of £30 million for next year's financial uh, budget, which has to be set, as I said earlier on, by March the 11th. We're actually going to set it on the February the 29th, so on uh, the leap year date. That's why I can remember it when I'm asked the question. Um, and we're working through that now. That's going to mean some pretty challenging, difficult decisions, which I'm not going to announce today on TNT radios. I'm sure you can appreciate them, but I'll save that for the council chamber. But but as I said, when we took over, we knew the finances would be challenging and we knew we'd have to take difficult decisions. We're not going to shy away from that, but that will mean some difficult decisions for the residents of Medway. You know who you remind me of right now, Vince? You remind me of me when I'm justifying busting my overdraft when I'm talking to my bank. Let me tell you, let me tell you, there's just a few comments here. Uh, you, I'm not expecting you to answer every one of these. Blodder says, rowing furiously backwards, Mally. Mally bites adds, so what is the amount? Don't you know? And if not, why not? Uh, Intruder says, please bore us for the facts. We love facts. And Toster Bloke says, so much debt that this dude can't even afford a haircut. That's a bit cruel. That's a bit cruel. <laughs> That's nobody votes for me for my haircut. That's for sure. Well, uh, I, I've, I've never been a sartorial role model myself. And then Blodders makes a point that I was thinking about as well. Oh, it's always what was inherited. And I'm going to come back to that in terms of the next general election. Do you actually, can you give us, I'm not going to spend the next 10 minutes on this, but can you actually give us an overall number for the debt? I'm less concerned about the number than whether you actually know it. Oh, no, it's, it's hundreds of millions of pounds. But I say that that sounds like a huge figure. And that's made up of capital spending. So that's money we've borrowed. And of course, lots of it isn't we. It's the previous administration. We couldn't have borrowed hundreds of millions of pounds in uh, just eight or nine months we've been here. They say there's some historic Kent County Council debt that we have as well. There's been some prudential borrowing for um, some day-to-day, -day, you know, bits of equipment so the bins right. obviously they're being picked up we need the lorries to take the waste so we, again yeah, a level of prudential borrowing there as well they, they, they were just they were just looking for a number uh just Boke says he's not going to tell us mally and then he says i bet he'd know if his pay packet was a fiver short uh, uh my, my my personal view folks is that probably it's not that terrible if Vince isn't able to give us an actual figure. Uh, but uh, I do personally think, Vince, it, I often hear this, and I'm going to go into the policy discussion now. Uh, every government that comes in locally and nationally blames their previous uh, incumbent, their, their previous incumbents for, for debt. So I, I'll let you off the hook there. Uh, we had some fun with, uh, with, with trying to push you on the figures there. Hundreds of millions of pounds of debt. That's what you're saying. Yep. But... I read between between four and five hundred million. I got, it changes okay. as people, as, you know, it's around that figure. It changes every week. It changes every week. Actually, fair play. I think I I will be the judge and jury here. It's official. Breaking news: Councillor Vince Maple, leader of Medway Council, has actually given us a figure between four hundred and five hundred million, and I'll settle for that. Fair play. You could have said it before. But there we go. Thanks very much for saying so. Let's talk about the same subject on a national basis, if this is okay with you. What mm -hmm. I think is going to happen is the Labour Party will win the next general election. I, I cannot see any way in which the Conservatives can recover. I could be proven wrong, but probably not. And then what they're going to say is, 
oh, we didn't realize the size of the debt. It's inherited debt, it's legacy debt, pretty much the sort of things that you've been saying now about Medway Council. And then what Keir Starmer will do is just about exactly the same as the Tories were doing. Back to the uni party point. Will anything be actually different if Prime Minister Keir Starmer is in charge? I think it will. Obviously, you would say I would say that, wouldn't I? But I think it will. But but the point you make is fair and valid. And look, we, we knew, let's talk about on the uh, on the micro level, we knew on May the 4th, we were going to be inheriting a financial mess. Uh, and I'll remind people of that, but also some of it from a local government perspective, of course, is the money we get. And um, we've talked about the 91% cut. Ultimately, though, at the, you know, February the 29th, that's my budget that I'm setting with my colleagues. And then people hold us to account on that with the backdrop. We will set that with the backdrop we've got. But that's a labour and cooperative budget being set on February the 29th. The same will be the case for Keir Starmer, Rachel Reeves and the front bench team. Uh, I, I think one of the things we will see, and I think this is right, is we won't see a manifesto which is over-promising. It will be ambitious. I think some of the things, and again, I don't want to get into boring technicalities because who would want those? Some of your listeners said in the chat, I think they do. But you know, if, if for, particularly for UK viewers and listeners and those who take an interest in UK politics, Gordon Brown, of course, former prime minister, uh, wrote a very important document after a commission he did on the kind of future of democracy in the UK. And actually, some of those changes will be quite revolutionary, you know, devolving power down from central government to regional and local government. So actually, some of those changes empowering people, dare I say it, communities taking back control. We might recognise that phrase in the UK. Um, that's a good thing. And we've said we bring that forward in the first 100 days. We obviously talked earlier on about climate change. We're going to bring forward uh, some substantial funding in that, uh, particularly for me. This is important around that change and change of employment, you know, clues in the name of my political party, the Labour Party. So when they're talking about um, the climate emergency, which I appreciate people have a mixture of views on. One thing I'm clear on, if you're moving away from, say, fossil fuel to renewables, employment is critical. Some of those jobs in fossil fuel, I, you know, I used to, some of your, you and I have talked about in the past, I used to work for the GMB trade union. So they've got high skilled, high value jobs in industries which will probably cease to exist. So there's a real responsibility on central government to make sure there's a just transition, not just for consumers, but importantly, for those who are working in those industries. And that can't be that can't be done overnight. That takes time. And I'm confident, actually, those are the sorts of changes. Whereas the government are saying, uh, you know, granting new licenses, you've got drill, baby, drill over in the US. It's about a mature approach to this and saying, yeah. actually, we, we, we've, we've got to take the right approach, which I, in my view, we'll see from the next Labour government. Yeah, I'm going to resist the temptation to have a big debate about the climate emergency. We're covering that tomorrow here on TNT on my show. And I know that I know that you and I have different opinions about this. I don't think there's a climate emergency. You're more concerned about it. And we're not going to solve it in five minutes. However, one thing which is relevant here is the fact that Keir Starmer wants to ban the sale of all new petrol and diesel cars and motorbikes in 2030. It's an act of madness. What on earth is he thinking? How is he going to double or triple the amount of power in the national grid? It's just, it's rubbish. 
why is he going along with it? Or maybe there's a magic uh, magic plan to build like a dozen nuclear power stations, probably 20 nuclear power stations in four years. I, I, I certainly think uh, nuclear will be part of any um, you know environmentally sustainable energy plan moving forward. That's not universally popular. I you know, re- absolutely recognise that. I think views for lots of people have changed actually over the last 20 or 30 years on that particular debate. Um, but I think on the issue of, of EV cars, what again, I don't claim to be an expert in this, but one of the things I think we will find, and, I, and I've, I, again, from the evidence I've seen, is that, that there is a risk that you end up investing lots in kind of EV car structures and then hydrogen comes along. And I think, again, I don't claim to be an expert. There are people who are far more knowledgeable on all sides of this debate who may not dis- may not agree with each other. But hydrogen cars are probably the longer term solution. Um, so there's a balance between, you know, and of course, there's a differential between blue and green hydrogen as well. Again, that's certainly one for your show for t- tomorrow, I suspect. So, yeah. so there is a balance between uh, recognizing what we have now is undoubtedly making damage to our environment there's no doubt of that people may disagree but that's fine so you've got a, you've got a solution here and now but is it i referred to it once almost as the betamax potentially of of cars <laughs> that the electric car may end up the betamax and actually the vhs will be hydrogen now again 30 years time people might play this back and go what on earth were you talking about let let me just explain to those who didn't live through that here in the uk there were two kinds of video tape when we did have video tape there's betamax and vhs betamax was probably a better system but vhs won the day and people had betamax ended up with a piece of scrap and i'm thinking that vince is suggesting that electric vehicles might end up in the same situation don't want to put words in your mouth no, no, I think that's probably, again, from, from what people say about the hydrogen vehicles, and of course, the technology on a mass scale isn't there yet. I accept that. But but I, I wouldn't be surprised if in 20 years' time, if you and I are still doing the same jobs we're doing, which who knows might be the case, we might come back to this and go, actually, uh, I was completely wrong. EV cars are here to stay. Or indeed, I was right. And hydrogen actually very quickly um, overtook um, electric vehicles. But I do think... Uh, eventually the the petrol and diesel vehicles we have now they they will uh, they'll be around for a while you won't be able to get rid of them because there are so, you know those cars running from 50 60 years ago so they're, they're I'm, here I'm, to stay for a while I'm, but, going, but, I'm going to cut you off there because i've got one more question for you we haven't resolved that one maybe one time if you're brave enough we can come and explore in the run-up to the election environmental policy or maybe in the run-up to the local elections that might be a good thing to do too last question for you. you've only got a minute can women have a penis Keir Starmer, your boss so, says you can so i think that this is a this is a real and in a minute i'm not going to cover this properly but this is a really i've been involved in politics for 20 years i've never known a debate where on both sides of the debate it's turned up to 11. There's no kind of disagreeing agreeably on this, which is something I believe in. The, the, the one thing I'd say, and this is a personal thing. So when we first met, I had three nieces. I now have two nieces and a nephew, and the world hasn't changed. The sky hasn't fallen in. So I, I'm comfortable. I think Keir is in the right place, but I do accept this is a sensitive issue on all sides. And I think well, whenever it's, the way you, you can't do it in a minute, uh, yeah. But you need to de- treat treat the debate respectfully, yeah. understanding people have alternative views. Yeah. The way you said it 
sound sensible the way he said it didn't but thank you Vince real pleasure to have you on the show hope you've enjoyed it it's been good to be able pleasure. to drill down deep that is Vince Maple the Labour leader of Medway Council telling it like it is thanks for all the help I've been getting on the chat as well I've been trying to ask your questions coming up next we've got Gen Z spokesperson Charlie Downs sharing the younger perspective on politics should he have one at all stay tuned for the next hour I'm Lemba Topic. this is TNT TNT